Good morning, St. Paul's. Good morning. The first scripture reading is from James 1, verses 19 through 27, and may be found on page 1881 in your pew Bibles. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the world, to the word, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look at the orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. The next reading is from Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16, and may be found in page 1501 in your pew Bibles. You are the salt of the earth, but if, that, if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. join our hearts in prayer this morning. Lord, we come to this place from so many other places. And Lord, we need a word today of peace and hope, of goodness, of mercy and justice and grace. Lord, fill us with your love. Because unless we have your love, Lord, we can do nothing. So fill us up today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. There was a, a preacher and his wife. And one day the preacher was going through the bedroom and he noticed in, his, in the wife's closet that there were six eggs and a thousand one dollar bills. So he was confused by this, so he went there and he said, What is 
What is this? She said, well, listen, I know. Over the 20 years that you've been preaching, whenever there's been a bad sermon, I've taken an egg and I've put it in the closet. And he thought, well, you know, over 20 years, six eggs, that's not too. It's a pretty good record. And he said, now what about these, did a dozen or a dollar? (laughs) So someone told me that joke yesterday here at church. And I won't tell you his name, but it rhymes with Tom O'Hearn. And, you know, I learned a principle in a pastoral ethics class I took one time. And the principle is this. Why is this person telling me this now? And so that went through my head. And I'm thinking, Tom, is this a commentary on my preaching? Maybe I've got to reevaluate things. So that's a, that's a good joke. And uh, if I find any eggs showing up at my house... I'll eat them and I'll thank you for the gift. (laughs) And I'll keep preaching. So friends, today we're concluding a sermon series on distinctives of Methodism. Getting back in touch with our roots and knowing who we are when we gather together in this place. As we come together under this banner of the Christian family called United Methodist. What that means. What are the distinctives of our movement? Because each Christian denomination has them. There are distinctives to Baptists and Presbyterians and Catholics and Episcopalians. And we Methodists are no different. There are distinctives that we hold that define us as a, as a particular movement of God's people. And so if you've noticed over the last several weeks, <clears throat> the, the topics that I've examined each week, it's been in a particular order for a particular purpose. And if you've noticed, we're, we're having a shift, starting to have a turn from the interior to the exterior. So we started by looking at sin, the condition that's within each one of us. That there's something wrong, not just in our behaviors, but in everything about us. Our thoughts, our motivations, who we are at our core is dysfunctional and broken. So then we looked at grace and holiness And sanctification, that work of God that he wants to do in each one of us to make us more like his son, Jesus Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit. So we examine what's wrong with us individually and collectively. I mean, just look around at the world today. Is collective sin real? It sure is. As individuals and when we gather together in groups and communities, there's sin and dysfunction. We need that grace of God that can redeem us and restore us, make us new. And as we examine all these things, I I hope that you notice that at the core of all of this, indeed at the core of the gospel, is relationships. The gospel is all about relationships. Ultimately, and first of all, restoring and repairing our relationship with God. Which then allows us to have our interpersonal human relationships redeemed and restored. And as we start to have this turn from what goes on in us to how we live in the world, what we come to today, our final Sunday in this series, looking at faith and works, or really what we're going to look at is the life of discipleship. How do we live out our faith in the world? 
For the early Methodists, this was one of the things that made them distinctive and indeed was the cause of so much derision and ridicule. Because you know what method, early Methodists did? They weren't content just to come to a church on a Sunday and take communion and pray and hear Scripture and then leave and go about their business. Sure, they would come and they would worship in churches. Remember, this was a renewal, church, renewal movement within the Church of England. So they would gather in Church of England parishes and they would sing and they would receive communion and they would pray. But then they would go out and it was expected for a Methodist that the other six days of the week you lived as if Jesus Christ was actually real. And that he made a difference in your life. And how was that shown and made evident? By caring for the poor. By visiting the sick and the lonely. By going to those who were in prison. For the early Methodists, it often meant preaching outside. Gathering large crowds and preaching to them. All of these things made them subject to derision and ridicule. That was not standard practice in the Church of England. You'd come into your parish, you'd receive the sacraments, and that's where church happened, and then, but nothing else. Don't sully yourself by going and visiting the poor, or going to prisons and visiting those who were incarcerated. See, Methodists join these two things together. That if you have a real living faith in Jesus Christ, it's going to show up in how you live in the world. It's going to influence all of your relationships. And it's going to especially make you mindful of the most vulnerable in society and those who have absolutely nothing. As I shared at the beginning of this sermon series, when Methodism, especially in the United States, when it began and it kept up with the westward expansion and the movement as new states were established, you know what Methodists would do? They would start a worshiping community... And you know what else they would do? They would found schools, and they would found hospitals, and they would build orphanages. Because they understood that the gospel, the good news of what God has done in Jesus Christ, touches on every aspect of life. Not just one spiritual life, although that is absolutely important, but it should affect everything. Meeting one's physical needs and emotional needs, tending to the entire person. That is Gospel ministry. And that's what the early Methodists were all about. John Wesley and the early Methodists, uh, not original to them, but they kind of formulated it in a specific way. They established something called the means of grace and works of mercy. Means of grace and works of mercy. What are the means of grace? Well, you can go to Scripture and you can find some established for us there. We find prayer. We find receiving the Lord's Supper. Those are things that Jesus commanded us to do, didn't he? The disciples came to Jesus and they said, Lord, teach us how to pray. And he taught them how to pray. And we have examples of Jesus himself going off and spending time in prayer. We have Jesus in the Gospel of John gathering the disciples in the upper room. And he told them, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. As he broke bread with them and as he shared the cup. John Wesley added to those such things as Christian fellowship, fasting, 
Those were all means of grace. In other words, those were methods, actions a Christian could engage in that would connect them in a deep, transformative way with the grace of God. That there are instituted means, there are regular means that Christians are given to receive the grace of God, which then strengthens and builds up a spiritual life, which then, follow the pattern here, which then allows them to engage in works of mercy. And what are works of mercy? Visiting the sick, tending to the orphans and the widows, going and visiting those who are in prison. You know, the day that John Wesley died, he was a complete and total pauper. He had no money. He gave it all away. He was a prolific writer. He would write pamphlets on everything. In fact, one of the very first treatises on electroshock therapy was by John Wesley. He was all over the place. And he would write and he would publish. And you know what he would do with the proceeds of everything he published? He'd give it all away. For others, live for others, given for others, should live, they should be in the world, in James and in Matthew. The book of James, friends, is really all about what does an enlivened faith look like? Now, we absolutely do not believe that one can earn or work their way into God's good graces. That's contrary to Scripture. However, Scripture does show us something. When we receive the gift of faith, and when we trust in Jesus Christ and give our lives to Him as not just our Savior, but also as our Lord, then that shows up in how we live. A transformed life, to use a biblical word, fruit, is evidence of inner transformation. The work of God in the life of an individual. And so the book of James is all about an enlivened faith and how that works itself out in the world. And James admonishes the people to whom he's writing that... You know, if you say you have faith, but there's nothing to show for it, that's a dead faith. It's not real. There's nothing there. The life of faith shows up, and it shows up for people. And then Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, he's just gotten up on this mountainside, this hillside. There are thousands of people, imagine the scene, who were gathered there below on that hill. Jesus is speaking to them. And he gives them the Beatitudes, which we know. Blessed are they, blessed are those, blessed is this person and that person. Blessed are the meek and the poor in spirit. And we hear that word blessed, and we kind of have a certain association with that word, don't we? In the Greek, you know what a more accurate rendering of that word is? Successful. In other words, Jesus is saying, if you live this way, you will find success. And it completely undermines, then and now, a definition of success. Because who do we think is successful? The strong, the powerful, people with a lot of money and influence, who leads us into that, that sort of king. And so with that in mind, then Jesus says to those who are gathered there, his would-be followers, you are the salt of the earth, And you are the light of the world. Now what do those two things mean in Jesus' day? In the ancient context. Well, salt, we we use salt now. And we use salt as what? 
A flavoring agent, right? You put salt and pepper on your food and maybe some other things, and it's a way to season your food. Well, it was sort of that in the ancient world, but even more than that, what else do you think it was? A preservative. They didn't have one refrigerators. They had to preserve food, and by taking something like meat and rubbing salt into it, it would slow the growth of those microbes that would cause the meat to spoil. And so salt was a type of preservative. It kept things fresh and good and safe to consume. It kept things palatable. It kept things nourishing. And the light of the world. Now imagine this. If Kevin and I were to go outside here at night in the parking lot and we're talking and it's pitch black, is it really pitch black? No. We got parking lot lights. There's a lot of light pollution. There's a lot of ambient light all around us all the time, isn't there? Do you think it was that way in Jesus' world? No. When the sun went down, it was dark. There were no street lights. There was no ambient light. There was no noise pollution from the next town over. It was dark. You could not see the foot in front of you, the hand in front of you, your next step. You were in complete and total darkness. And it is in that context Jesus says, you are the light of the world. In the midst of complete and total darkness, you are the light of the world. And often in the New Testament, particularly in Jesus' teaching, he uses light as a metaphor, as an image for the truth. You are the ones who have the truth. You are the ones who know what is really real. And when you bring that into the world, it's going to cause the darkness to flee. However, Jesus also gets at this inclination that I think pulls at us today. And what is that? To hide our light. To hide our light. It can be scary and frightening to be in the midst of darkness and to be the one who's bringing in the light. It can be a little frightening and overwhelming in the midst of everything going on in the world, living in a culture that is so aligned against the things of God to be someone who stands up and says, I follow a different way. It's tempting for all of us to take our light and to perhaps hide it, if not make it a little bit more dim. And yet Jesus, over and over and over again, for people who are going to follow Him, for people who are going to allow themselves through faith to be transformed and then live differently in the world, over and over and over again, Jesus says it's all or nothing. Jesus has the harshest words for... People who would try to go halfway. In the book of Revelation, we have these words of Jesus to these areas, these groups of churches. And what does he say to the one church that is lukewarm? Spit you out of my mouth. You're neither hot nor cold. Oh. Jesus wants people who are all in or not in at all. Over and over and over and over again. Through his example and through his teaching, Jesus shows us that a life of discipleship means a life of commitment. And how do we see that commitment? We see it in how we live in the world. By what we do for others. 
by the care that we have, by the words that we speak to those around us. Are we speaking kindly and with love? Or are we speaking sharply and with anger? The way we treat other people, do we notice the needs of those around us? When someone is in our, uh, someone in our family, someone in our friends, someone in our work who is struggling, who's having an issue with a relationship, are we able to love them and to speak the light and the love of Jesus Christ into their life? Do we even notice the hurting people at all? James says, true religion, true religion is this, to care for the orphan and the widow, to notice those who are in distress. That's what God wants. That's what a life of faith should lead to. It's people who are full of salt, who preserve what is good, who can bring a nourishing word into the world around us who can stave off death and decay by the salt of the gospel and by people who are not ashamed to let their light shine. People who will step into the darkness with boldness and proclaim the goodness of Jesus. Friends, the world around us needs this. Oh my, perhaps now more than ever. There's so much darkness all around us. It pulls at us, doesn't it? And as I mentioned last week, sometimes in the face of it all, we can shrink away because the magnitude seems so overwhelming. With wars and rumors of wars all around us, with the poor getting poorer, with people struggling to buy food and to make ends meet, struggling and suffering around all around us is real. And Jesus says, you, the church, the people of God gathered together, that community set up on a hill. We're meant to be different. We're meant to be different. Transformed by the power of God. Engaged in a rich and robust spiritual life so that we can draw closer to God and serve those around us. That's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. That's the life that I want for us here at St. Paul's. Where we are just so caught up in the goodness of God that we are salt and light and that it transforms everything about us. Our words, our actions, our thoughts, our speech, our relationships. and brings us closer to the heart of God that loves those around us and is filled with compassion and mercy. Amen? Amen. Amen.